Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to On the Ball with Rick Buecher. Here's your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buecher. Rick Buecher. This is On the Ball on the United Wecast Network, and I am Rick Buecher. You can see me on FS1, hear me on Fox Sports Radio, and you can read me by ordering the memoir of Brian Grant and his battle with young onset Parkinson's called Rebound. If you know someone with Parkinson's or you know nothing about Parkinson's, you will want to read Brian's story. Order your copy on Amazon or visit your favorite brick-and-mortar bookstore to grab one. Are you a Kindle reader, audiobook listener? We've got those versions as well. Support Brian's foundation, which supports those afflicted with Parkinson's, and pick up your copy today. You can also follow me on both Twitter and Instagram, at Rick Buecher. I'm a lot of places. But there's only one place you can hear me talking about story angles and perspectives that you are not likely to find anywhere else, primarily but not exclusively involving the NBA, and that is here. When I finished the last episode of On the Ball, or OTB as I've decided to refer to it to save time, I planned to discuss either early summer league showings by Jalen Green, Jalen Suggs, Kate Cunningham, and the other top picks in the latest draft, or break down the Chicago Bulls' moves this summer the same way I did the Knicks in the previous episode. I'm still going to address the Bulls, but summer league discussion is going to have to wait, because there are a couple of other subjects that I feel compelled to hit first. You ever have something you need to get off your mind or your chest It might not be the most important thing going on in your life, but you just really can't move forward until you dispense of whatever it is. That's me with these two topics. Luka Doncic and his prospects of leading the Dallas Mavericks to a title, and the arguments being made for why the age issue with the Lakers is being overblown when it comes to their chances of winning a title this season. But first, to the Bulls, because I feel as if I owe it to you. If it seems like I've been avoiding getting to them, well, I have been. Here's why. There's a lot, there's a lot to like about what Mark Eversley and Arturis Karnasovas have done with the roster. They clearly had a plan and a vision. They were more focused on building a solid team over winning the press conference or making a big splash. They haven't oversold what they've done, even though I'd say they did a nice job of adding pieces that complement their incumbent star, Zach Levine, who also benefited from his summer 
playing in the Tokyo Olympics. Side note, anyone worried about Zach's desire to be shown respect by the Bulls with a new deal more commensurate with his standing as an all-star? Don't be. He is very much appreciated and respected by the current regime, even though they weren't responsible for acquiring him. I would not expect the extension to be negotiated until next summer because he will be eligible for a bigger number. But unless this season goes dramatically awry, it should not be an issue. But this is why I've kept sticking a pin in saying definitively what the Bulls will do or be next season. Because for all they've added, I'm still looking for the piece or the person that galvanizes all of it. I have one in mind. And I'll get to that. But I have to believe they will have a winning record. That's about it. The bottom of the East remains too soft. No one behind them made moves to gain on them. I'm fairly confident about that. Toronto? No. So let's look at the teams just ahead of them in last year's standings. The ones they have to leapfrog to be in the playoff picture. And when I say... I'm confident they'll be a winning team or have a winning record. That means they're going to do a, make a 10-game jump, which is not insignificant. But back to the teams in front of them. The Wizards are an interesting mix. I don't expect them to fall off, but I don't see reason to believe they're built for a winning record. Who is the leader? Don't confuse best player with leader, so don't respond with Bradley Beal. They have depth, but there's not a starting lineup that puts any fear or even healthy caution in anybody. Then there's Charlotte. James Bonite, their first-round pick, looked physically overmatched in Summer League. Kelly Oubre is a nice addition, but is he going to bring the same defensive energy he did for the Warriors? If he doesn't, can you play him and Gordon Hayward together? Again, I don't see the Hornets falling off but I don't see reason to believe they're on a decided upward trajectory. That could change if they move Hayward for a legit big. I don't know the accuracy of the rumor that the Pacers are interested and might take him for Miles Turner, but as it stands, the Hornets aren't built to fend off the Bulls climbing past them in the standings. All of that leaves Chicago in the eighth spot which I'm guessing Bulls fans might take as a relatively meager return for all the offseason moves they made. But this is where it gets tough, and why I really need to see exactly how well all those new pieces work together in order to see them capable of displacing one of the East's top seven teams. It won't be the Heat, after adding Kyle Lowry. I have no reason to see the Hawks, Bucks, or Nets falling off either. The seventh-seeded Celtics were ripe until they signed Dennis Schroeder for a measly $5.9 million. He instantly upgrades their defense in a major way, and if he plays seeking revenge on everyone who declined to give him a long-term deal, the Celtics may have found lightning in a bottle. On the other hand, there's a reason he's on his fourth team, in spite of being a ferocious defender, a capable scorer, and a decent passer. He can be incredibly stubborn and demonstrative. He's a load, as they like to say, or so I've been told. If he resents the Celtics for only giving him the 5.9 million instead of the one year 10 million he asked for, 
even though it would have been irresponsible for Boston to do it because it would have hard-capped them, then he could be a chemistry killer. And I've seen players who have been upset about what they've got, even if it's explained to them that it doesn't make sense for the team in the big picture. They don't care. The Celtics might just let him go since they have so little invested in him if it becomes a problem, but that would leave them with a gaping hole at point guard. So maybe the Celtics are ripe. We'll put that to the side. That leaves the Sixers and the Knicks. Even if Philly gets relatively nothing for Simmons, Ben Simmons, I can't see them going from the best record in the conference to a play-in game. The Knicks, as I detailed in the last episode, have a deeper roster than last year's 41-31 and 31 team. But if Coach Tom Thibodeau doesn't utilize it and is dead set on riding his veterans in order to make sure the regular season winning percentage is even higher than last season, they could find themselves racked with injuries. Let's put it this way. If Derrick Rose is out, they're a 500 team. They were before he joined them last season. And I'm not convinced Kemba Walker is the difference maker he once was. He certainly wasn't in Boston last year. While I like the additions the Bulls made, I see the difference maker as being Patrick Williams, last year's first round pick. I thought he got lost in the shadow of Levine's ascension and Kobe White's white-hot streakiness at times. Patrick was as efficient and solid as a rookie on a team that seemed to be on a roller coaster all season could be. You probably weren't aware unless you're a devout Bulls fan, that he shot nearly 50% overall and nearly 39% on threes while only averaging seven and a half shots a game. That's pretty damn efficient. If he is the monster he's shown himself capable of being in glimpses, particularly as a defender, and I think physically and athletically he is gifted enough to be that, and can match up against the best forwards in the league, the LeBrons, the Kawhis, the KDs, and the Giannis's. And I'm not saying outdo them or even play them even, but if he just minimizes the damage, that changes the landscape considerably. Zach Levine wouldn't have to be on absolute fire just to eke out a win the way he had to be last year. Lonzo Ball would just have to be solid, not extraordinary as a defender. Same for Alex Caruso. uh, Protecting Nikola Vucevic from getting abused in pick and rolls is still going to have to be a concerted team effort. But if Williams can make those all-star threes earn their buckets without needing a double team, it would go a long way. It's a tall order. I'm not denying that. And I don't know if Williams is up to it yet. Again, That's why pinning significant expectations on the Bulls at this point is dangerous. So I'm going no further than saying they will be in the playoff picture. But don't be shocked if it's by going through the play-in format. All right, moving on. Down to the state of Texas where Luka Doncic is once more being projected as the face of the NBA and the next young star to lead his team to a championship. Didn't we learn any lessons from last fall when he was the preseason favorite to be league MVP? 
Are we not taking into account that he has yet to get the Mavericks out of the first round? Don't get me wrong. I believe Doncic is a tremendous talent. I take him all day, every day, over Trey Young, and I don't mean that as a slight to Trey. It's just that Trey's stardom has been inflated as well, maybe more so than Doncic's, by those who are gobsmacked by highlights and don't take into account that some guys are giving up as many points as they are scoring. Or they may be scoring, but they're not doing so efficiently. That was Trey in the playoffs. Averaged almost 29 points a game, but shot 41% overall and 31% from three, which is supposed to be his strength. Granted, did play at least one game on a bad ankle, and that compromised him, but he was already struggling prior to that. The dude also is not collecting hockey assists or attacking the rim in a way that draws a second defender and creates easy putbacks. Guards that do that, I care a lot less about their shooting percentage. When they drive and draw that much attention, their misses are practically assists because they result in easy putbacks by a teammate left open by the attention they've drawn. Doncic, for all of his offensive mastery, is a liability on defense especially in the postseason. Of his 13 playoff games, he has been in the red in plus-minus more often than he's been on the plus side. He's also had five or more turnovers in a majority of his playoff games. There are plenty of great offensive players who are not great defensively, but their offensive weaponry tips the scales in their team's favor, even though they're not a great defender. Their offense is so great that they can still lead their team to victory and playoff series wins. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. That hasn't been the case for Luca. I'm just not sure what the urgency is to anoint him. When he scored 48 points against Argentina in the Tokyo Olympics, the sentry trumpets were sounded once again that the new king was on his way. And then he got into foul trouble and Slovenia beat Spain basically without him, at least without him being a pivotal factor. Then they lost to France when he went 5 for 18 and 2 for 9 on threes, erasing the impact of his 18 assists. Then Slovenia got squashed by Australia when he needed 20 shots to score 22 points and had more turnovers, 8, than assists. And yes, the trumpets were put away, but it's as if the in-between desultory performances are not being taken into account. They are erased as soon as they happen. And meanwhile, the outstanding performances are kept as proof that he's the next big thing. Doncic is also playing without a bona fide wingman on a Mavericks team that has a new neophyte GM, Nico Harrison. I expect and hope that Nico will do well because he's a good guy and I've known him for a long time. But for Doncic to become an MVP or the face of the league, the Mavs have to be one of the best teams in the league, both in the regular season 
and the playoffs. Last season's 42-30 and 30 record, good for fifth in the West, is not going to cut it. Nor will getting bounced in the first round, which has happened twice now. I'd love to see Doncic ascend, because it might renew the value of being a playmaker and approaching the game in a more cerebral way, something that is sorely lacking in today's first man down the court drives or launches a three NBA. But do I see him as head and shoulders above the league's other half dozen or so bonafide superstars? No, I do not. Finally, let me wrap with this on the Lakers and the complaint that too much is being made of their age because veteran experience is so valuable in the postseason, you know, especially on a Tibbs coach team. And they won in the bubble despite being the league's oldest team. I shouldn't have to go through this, but I will. I'm not discrediting their bubble title. They handled the circumstances better than anyone else. They were worthy champions. But the bubble also gave them an avenue by which to win the title that is not the same convenient boulevard when we're talking an 82-game season and a normal playoff scenario that includes travel and playing on the road. And for anyone suggesting, I always find fault with the Lakers, you weren't paying attention going into last season. I thought at that time, the Lakers could repeat, should repeat, said I thought they could repeat, until I saw that the changes they made to the roster did not take. And Anthony Davis, rather than springboard off his first championship and take the burden off LeBron to be the team's driving force, decided to sleepwalk through the first half of the season and then got injured. Yes, the Bulls' last championship team was older than the current Lakers. But do I really have to point out that the Bulls were playing in a different era when the pace was much slower and old man's strength as opposed to young man's hops was more advantageous? Do I really have to note that it was a Bulls core that had already developed the chemistry and confidence that comes with winning two previous titles? Or that they still had the league's third best defense in spite of all that age, reflecting how different the game was played then versus now? It's not that this Lakers team isn't capable of being really good in the regular season. I would expect it will be. But it sure as hell won't have the third best defense in the league because for the veteran stars that they have, they're all offensive stars. And mediocre at best defenders, aside from Trevor Ariza, who is also not an offensive star, nor a star, period. And let's face it, the bar we're talking about is winning a championship. These are also not the veteran personalities of two years ago, and this is not the same coaching staff. Gone are veteran coaches Jason Kidd and Lionel Hollins, both of whom played key roles next to head coach Frank Vogel, who had never come close to coaching a title contending team prior to the bubble. I might feel a little different about Vogel's ability to deal with Westbrook and Carmelo Anthony, and LeBron for that matter, if Kidd and Hollins were still in the fold. The biggest reason I'm not buying the Lakers as championship worthy, though, is LeBron. Father Time hasn't just tapped him on the shoulder. He's climbed on his back. His statistics against the Suns 
were career lows in almost every category, except for turnovers. Those were as high as they've been since he first reached the postseason back in 2006. And who was he matched up against? Jay Crowder? I like Crowder as a savvy veteran, but his ability to make life difficult on LeBron without much help was telling. He certainly couldn't do anything with Giannis. It's not in LeBron's nature to go to the wall to make up for a missing co-star, as in AD getting hurt. He'd rather try to massage the missing elements out of the other complementary players. That's why I've always kind of smirk when I hear someone suggest that with AD out or whoever it might be down the line, oh, we're going to get a big performance out of LeBron. He's got to go for 50. He never goes for 50. I mean, how many times? I could go back and look. It's not the way he approaches the game, for whatever reason. But he went more quietly than ever against Phoenix, averaging less than four free throws a game through the six-game series. Now, as a veteran superstar, getting to the line is the surest way to provide scoring while expending minimal energy. James was content to hoist threes instead, launching an average of eight a game, way above the number he's taken in any of his previous 14 trips to the playoffs. Not once did we see the kind of dominating performance he's been capable of in the past. Didn't have a game where he scored over 30. Only one game where he had double-digit assists. Only one game where he had double-digit rebounds. Only one game where he shot better than 50%. And not one game where he had a triple-double. This is who LeBron is now. He's still a very good player. A dynamic player. But he's not a dominating player. Especially in the postseason. So... If you're of the mind that Russell Westbrook or Anthony Davis are going to lead the Lakers to a title, well, you go right ahead with that. LeBron, and only LeBron, is capable of that among the current Lakers, in my mind. Or, more accurately, was. All right, that does it for this episode of On the Ball on the United WeCast Network. Please rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Did get a chance to see Jay, uh, I keep saying Jade Cunningham. I think it's the Jalen effect. Cade Cunningham and Jalen Green saw them match up, have some thoughts about that, and Jalen Suggs, and a few other things. And we'll get to all of that in the next podcast. In the meantime, as always... Thanks for listening. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.